0: You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. So let's talk. Let's, uh, let's, let's talk this out. And let's do this in a way that's, that's, uh, that's real time and real life. So all of these notes are going to be on your, uh, your, your Church Center app as well as up here. Um, but when we see Peter... Falling back into some Jewish ideology that leads him to lose sight of the equality and the equity the kingdom of God creates among a people. And it destabilizes and brings disunity to the church. Um, We see how easy that is to do. And that shouldn't be foreign to us. So let's talk about how social constructs move through society uh, and, and can radically impact this whole idea of unity that the church is supposed to try and pursue with reconciliation. So listen to this. On May 17th of 1954, the Supreme Court unanimously declared in the case of Brown v. the Board of Education that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place. And they overturned Plessy uh, v. Ferguson of 1896, and they dismantled segregated schools, And they said that everybody should do so with all deliberate speed. But then in 1956, Senator Harry F. Byrd, Sr., who was a former governor of Virginia and a senator within the legislation of a governor, who was also a confessed Episcopalian Christian, radically, radically and passionately opposed integration. And adopted a process and a law, a set of laws and policies called massive resistance, and convinced the Virginia legislature Leister, to pass these laws. And then in 1959, the Virginia Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court de- declared that massive resistance laws were unconstitutional. Now, it'd be nice if that was the end of it, but it's not, because Prince Edward County. Anybody know where Prince Edward County is? Like. How many miles up the road? Right? Just a few? Prince Edward County Board of Supervisors also opposed integration. And so you know what they did? They ended support for schools and closed Prince Edward County schools from 1959 to 1964. And white officials tapped into state tuition grants and county tax credits to educate the county's white children in, public, in private schools. No provision was made for black and brown children. And they had to attend schools in surrounding counties or create schools in church basements. Everybody say church basements. Church. Just so we know where the church has to be in these things. As a result, many didn't even make it back to school when this absurd move was overturned. Now, locally, williamsburg James City County, segregation continued in Williamsburg schools until 1965 to 66. And the first steps in the process of desegregation began to be taken locally, and it was called Freedom of Choice Plans. Now, keep in mind that segregation took place in our locality from 65 to 66, but when did the Supreme Court pass that law? Fifty-four. When did the massive resistance movement get overturned as unconstitutional? Fifty-nine. When did we start trying to get it even remotely right here locally? 64, 65. Now, eventually, the Supreme Court in 1968 made a decision in Green V. County School Board of New Kent County that this freedom of choice plan was insufficient. And so, system wide desegregation was legislated in Williamsburg and James City County for the 68, 69 school year. And in many in many, way, in many uh, ways and in many areas uh, there had to just be, there had to be bus, we had to bus in all of these different neighbors to be together like all of them because there was this exodus of white families from the city to the suburbs y'all know this is when the private school and I just want to be clear that this is when some of the Christian movements began to take place right just keep that in mind and what do we learn about social constructs through this? Come on. What do we learn? We talked about it last week. So what do we learn about social constructs through this example? Even with Christians driving it, what do we learn? Anybody? It influences legislation. It influences legislation. Social constructs have enough power to influence the way laws and policies are passed and constructed. That we're not immune to any of these things. And neither is the church Because where do we live and where do we go When we leave this place together Back out into society And what society assigns as truth Gets assigned To what society considers good And it creates a moral order That influences and governs our lives So it's important to understand How this process works Now Now WCC, were Christian Church, was founded in 1964. And we were founded as a non-denominational church in association with the restoration movement. We were planted by 19 individuals, all considered blue-collar working folks from electricians to painters to homemakers. And this male-led, so it's a men-led, it was strictly a male-led, historically white congregation that we are a part of, had a church tagline that we led with when we started. And we called it The Restored Church in the Restored City. And if you read the very first bulletin that was printed in the inaugural public gathering of this church, you'll find a description of the identity of the church. It says this, The Restored Church in the Restored City wants to be known simply as a group of Christians or a Christian church with no no creed but Christ practicing the ordinances of Christian baptism and the Lord's Supper As they were observed in the New Testament record. By faith in Christ, repentance of sin, confession of Christ before men. And baptism in Christ for the remission of sins. Making no claim of being the only Christians. But content to be what? Simply Christians only. So what you have to know about the origins of this church. Is the origins of this church was to be a unified movement. To get rid of the denominational brands and labels. To bring back a a commitment to Scripture and a commitment to equality and equity within the church in the United States of America. And we came out of what was called the Second Great Awakening. Why do I tell you all this? Because in the DNA of this church, the origin of this church was to be a unifying presence. So I combed through every minute. There's not a minute that we have in our history that I have not read. There's not a document or a bulletin that I haven't read that we have hard copies or electronic copies of. That's what you do when you're nerdy like me. <laughs> and so I read every minutes of every men's, minute, men's meeting, and by the way, it was just a men's meeting to talk about the business of the church. That was the inheritance of, that was the legacy of the Christianity we still had. And I found out that our church from the beginning had a heart for the broken. Our church in the beginning, if you'll go back to a different slide, Sherry. Our church from the very beginning was thoroughly committed to the least last left out and lonely. What you'll find is that our church from the inception spent time at Eastern State Hospital with people in the hospital. You know what Eastern State is, right? You know how stigmatizing that would be in the 60s for a church to make that a commitment socially? It wasn't that the church just provided hygiene products and clothes, which they did. But they actually spent time on the wings and in the wards with them, especially the children, having ice cream parties. The church from the beginning had a commitment to the last, least, left out and lonely, even the stigmatized and the marginalized. That is a part of the legacy of the church. There was a withness in the foundation of the life of the people who made up this congregation. You can read all about it. And by the way, ironically, the women led all that. do you want to throw that out there? It's always the irony of things. That's where the idea of the ladies' Christian endeavor came from. Because it was the ladies' Christian endeavor to lead the church in this call. And from the outset, that was the heart. Now, as I read through all the church minute meetings, I also discovered... That there was nothing said about race or race relations or racial reconciliation in the minutes for the first several years until March 12th of 1969. Now March 12th, 1969, Williamsburg is going through only a few months of desegregation and integration by legislative decree. And so things, if you know anything about the history of this town at that time, it is not a pleasant place to be. There is division everywhere. And so this church led by a visionary pastor by the name of Ralph Carter. He wasn't here long. I wish he had been here longer. You can see in the minutes that I literally cut and pasted from that meeting of March 12, 1969, that Brother Carter stated that he planned to be away only two dates that year. Just so y'all know. You know, we need to know what he was doing. And then he brought up five items for discussion and thought. And, thought. and those five items, number one, colored admission. Easter program, deacons, calling programs, and study groups. And listen to this. The men voted unanimously to go on record that there be no discrimination as to race, creed, or color. Thirteen men in attendance called to a recognition of what it would mean to be an inclusive community. Wanted to go on record in no uncertain terms that this would be a church that would welcome all people for real. And at a time, albeit it took a few years, as in, you know, a few hundred, as in for 1964 to 1969, even though it took a few years, there was a point in time where the leaders of this church decided that there was gonna be no question as to what kind of church this was going to be. And you could say, well, that's not a big deal. And I would say, yeah, anybody can make a vote But tell me what you're going to do about it. Well, glad you asked. Williamsburg Cooperative Ministries was a loosely led organization by multiple churches in this community that took place. It was led by a small number of multiple churches, and the effort of the Williamsburg Cooperative Ministries initiative was to deal with, quote, unquote, the problems of the city. It wanted to address the issues that were keeping healing and unity from happening. And guess who was a founding church of this concrete and tangible initiative? Williamsburg Christian Church. And so five committees were formed within the Williamsburg Cooperative Ministries Initiative concerning youth, local institutions, and it named the institutions Eastern State, the college, and the welfare department. Counseling, foster homes for orphans, And making sure that they were cared for. And then volunteerism of Christian professionals to provide free services for people who had need. So they were looking for law consultants, doctors, ministers, bankers, and contractors. And specific to the youth were the concerns of this Williamsburg Cooperative Ministry. Specific to the youth were the concerns of job problems, interracial and interdenominational understanding, social problems, recreation, involvement in church, youth, programs. And I want you to note that a stated commitment of address was interracial relationships. And not only that, they had play, were planning to sponsor interracial and interdenominational youth retreats to actually do the hard work of bringing one-to-one, person-to-person. And I read these minutes from the three representatives of our church ...who were a part of the founding minutes of this organization. This was quite a provocative and controversial initiative in our community. So much so that you can't find a single record of it anywhere. The only way I know this exists is because I not only read it in the minutes... ...but, I act- but because our representatives were very particular... I was able to find the bylaws of this organization, which you can see a copy there. I didn't do the whole thing because, you know, it's bylaws. But you won't find this anywhere. We're left to not know what happened. We're left to not know if anything concrete took place. What we do know is that the story of this church was to be a part of concrete, tangible, actionable effort to bring about racial healing and reconciliation and justice in our community at a time when it was provocative. Not only that, that they were willing to enter into spaces to be with some of the most stigmatized neighbors who were hospitalized at Eastern State University, our Eastern State Hospital. So any of you who want to talk to me about the fact that I talk about all this too much, it's in keeping with our church. We're just naming it differently. Now, what I have found out through literally 13 years of interviews that I've conducted with members of our church, many who were fa- some who were founders at this time, is that sadly, nothing was ever said from the pulpit that they can remember. And it took several years for the first non-white person to ever come to this church. And it was a, a black child from the bus ministry who was baptized into this church. He was the first non-white person to ever be in this church, and it was in the early 70s. And then the very first black adult to be invited into this church was a man who worked for our brother Claude Brown who was a founder, who was a barber and it was the man who went into his barber shop and did shoe shine, and he invited him into the church. And all of this was controversial especially in the early 70s. But it was just right. It was just the right thing to begin doing. Because racial reconciliation and unity has a price. And it is the right price to pay. But as I have said many times. If Emmett Till's mother lost a son. The least my white brothers and sisters can be willing to do is lose some friends. And I'd be willing to bet that Paul when he rebuked Peter. For not spending time with Gentiles. I'd be willing to bet Peter was like but I have some Gentile friends. But it's the actionable work of love that is required for the people of God to be faithful to the call of God. Because what does Jesus say? It's not going to be what you say, it's going to be the fruit you bear. And your fruit is determined by your root. You with me? This is why Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 44. Each tree is known by its own fruit. People don't gather figs from thorny plants, nor do they pick grapes from prickly bushes. A good person produces good from the good treasury of their inner self, while an evil person produces evil from the evil treasury of the inner self. The inner self overflows with words that are spoken. This church, in all of its imperfection from the beginning, had a heart to try to do what was good and right and faithful at a time where it was a turmoil of a mess in our locality, in the thick of the public arguments of integration. And it would be easy to sit back and say we should celebrate our fathers and mothers who founded this church, and I would say we can, but I would say. That they just did the right thing. I always remember the story of Jesus when he talks about the the, the 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 parable of the people who do what they were supposed to do when the master wasn't away, and the master came back and said, "Hey, master, we did what you told us to do." And Jesus was like, "You ain't getting a cookie for that. You did what you were supposed to do." So this isn't some hero complex I'm trying to create with this church. You with me? Because we can't do that. That's not how reconciliation comes. That becomes performatism. Does that make sense? The real work is in the concrete, actionable efforts. Juneteenth is coming. We pray a prayer over it every year. This year, on Monday, in partnership with the Village Initiative, we're sponsoring a water tent. We'll provide waters for any who want waters. We need people to volunteer. The weekend after that, a racial healing Ceremony and event takes place that our sister Laura with Virginia Racial Healing Institute, of which I'm a board member, is hosting. To bring tangible and concrete expressions and actions as to what it looks like to do the work of repair. Because when injustice breaks, Christians have to move about repair. Does that make sense? And I know that for some people that is a controversial concept. And I will confess to you, and I mean this with all love and respect, for the life of me, I don't know how that's controversial for Christians. Because the work of repair that Christ did for us on the cross will far exceed any work of repair that we need to do. But the fact is, we have a story that has formed us, and we have a, re- we have a responsibility a to reform that story because of the Christ we confess. And that will involve all of us if we are to embody the unity and the reconciliation that Paul is calling out to Peter in this story. So, in your, in your um, Church Center app, there are four things that I suggest. I'll read them briefly here because we're running out of time. Number one, Develop the courage for racial unity by remembering the story of our faith through the scriptures and practicing presence of prayer. Know the stories like in Galatians 2. Know these stories. Number two, develop the courage for racial unity by remembering your baptism and baptismal identity, and that Christ abolishes identities of dominance, not identities of difference. Please resist the faulty notion of color blindness, of I don't see color. Society does, and chances are you do too. And to disregard the beautiful differences of who we are is to disregard the beautiful creative majesty of the God who made us all in God's image. Number three, develop the courage for racial unity by resisting party political ideologies That deny truth and truth-telling or contradicts the life and teachings of Jesus. That little history lesson I just offered us, that's the same kind of stuff that schools in this country is trying, that certain leaders in this country is trying to keep from being told in schools. You got to know that because it makes people feel a way about themselves. Don't get caught up in the cycle of truth denial and resist the party political ideologies that are behind it. It's not sustainable and it really just doesn't have gospel integrity. We are a part of a story. It's what we do with that story once we know it that makes the difference. And when the church takes that story and embraces it for what it is and then submits it to the cross, something extraordinary is seen. But it doesn't happen through denial. It happens through embracing it for what it is. It formed Peter. Conform us. Finally, four. Develop the courage for racial unity by seeking love for others rather than the approval of others. And then trust God with the consequences. And whatever you do, don't go at it alone. Peter needed Paul to remind him of what he had forgotten. And it was a rebuke of the strongest order. And was it privately? No. no what was it? It was a public rebuke. You won't get the approval of others. And if you bow down to it, you'll negotiate what you believe. Which is why Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Be mindful, beloved. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring life. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.